listening to the Writers' Forum. I'm your host, Mike Toos, and today I'll be speaking with poet Nicole Iden about her new book of poetry titled, I Am One of You. Nicole is an award-winning filmmaker with her Master's of Fine Arts degree from the University of New Orleans, and equally important in a town that loves to eat, she owns Windowsill Pies on Ferret Street in New Orleans. Welcome to the show, Nicole. Thank you for having me. All right, well, talk to me about how having been a filmmaker influences your writing of poetry. I think that poems and film have more in common than fiction a lot of time in film in one specific way is the image and the moment. Film is so image-driven, and um, yeah, that's how I've always felt. It was like a natural connection for me. I definitely see myself as a writer first, and that's my main way of expressing myself. But to me, that's the, the commonality in the... Well, does it help you with visualization of your of when you're writing a poem? I would say the opposite. The okay. fact that I'm a poet, I've been working on a screenplay for a while, and I, I picture everything. There, it's not very dialogue forward. I see everything moment by moment in that way. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the book. Now, on the cover of the book, there is a picture of what appears to be a basketball team from some many years ago, and the basketball players are all women. Can you tell us what this picture's about? Yes. Um, 1929-1930, Oakfield, which was a smaller town in upstate New York. It's my grandmother's basketball team. My grandmother is in the front row on the left, and she gave me this picture. Um, I have it hanging in my house, and it's to me, it's it's such a powerful picture. Um, this was a time when white women were had sports that were organized, and she played full court basketball. And after that time, there was sports were scaled back for women. And then at one point, when my mother played, it, it was only half court. So just to see um, that what was and the progress, and then the backsliding and then where we are now, it just, I think it's a good reminder of what we're all capable of. That's not exactly, I'm going to pause. <laughs> it's my 10 seconds. When I see this picture um, of 1929, 1930, Oakfield, upstate New York, it's my grandmother's basketball team. Um, back then, White women were had organized sports in some schools, and she played full-court basketball. And then that was scaled back, and when my mom played, it was only half-court. And then there was, like, a fight for equal funding with Title IX and just to see where I am and then my daughter. So I just find this a very powerful picture, and she was always really into sports. I mean, growing up, my grandmother, you know, went to— church almost every day, but gosh, when Ohio State was playing, she would get frustrated and almost <laughs> let some swear words fly. Well, both, as I read the, the poems and the acknowledgments in that, both of your grandmothers played key parts in your life, Absolutely, right? yes. And so, in fact, I think your grandmother, Mary Iden, was a poet. Is that right? She is my actual, 
um, she was the Iden side. Okay. Mary Mitchell, yes, she was Mary Iden, but I think of her as Mary Mitchell when I think of her young. Um, but you're right, her name was Mary Iden. And um, yeah, she, she revealed that to me. And um, so many of the, the um, parts of her I didn't realize or recognize as a young person. It took me a long time to really value the art, the artist she was, and that that she never was really able to develop because of the time she lived in. Yeah, and time and circumstance for gotcha. sure. All right. Well, let's let's talk about the title of the book of poetry. I am one of you. Tell me what you're trying to convey to us there. The last poem in the book is a longer poem. And it circles through a, a wedding, a fr- friendships, and family. And I had this sense that I was individual. I am never going to die. All these things that I think young people feel until they're humbled by the realities of mortality and connection. And the last line is... Basically, looking at my family, looking at all the old photos and all the people who I share lineage with, and then I, that recognition that, you know, I am one of you. It doesn't make me less individual, but it makes me stronger and part of something. And, and just so it's clear, that poem is entitled Everything in the World, right? Correct. Okay. All right. Now, before we jump into some specific poems and getting you to read... Was there a method to your organization? A lot of times, poets and, and short story folks as well will tell me that I organize my poems or I organize my short stories in a specific uh, chronology for purpose. Did, is that what you did, or did it just kind of happenstance come about how you organized them? I think there is a thematic organization. Mm-hmm more of a feeling of opening and closing. So I open the book with something that I feel has some scope and the same, I close it with something that really captures the sort of what I'm trying to do, honestly, in every poem. Um, But in terms of a narrative or um, a specific chapter feel, I don't have that. Um, I do try to think about the pacing of the reader, though, just it's very intuitive, I would say. Yeah, I, I thought there was an arc to it, you know, from beginning to end. All right, so a lot of times with fiction, in particular, authors will say that after the book came out, people would contact them with what they got out of the story that the author never even thought about. Have you had that happen with any of your poems where somebody's told you what they drew from it that kind of wasn't on your radar uh, when you were writing? When people tell me a poem means something to them or they connect with a poem, I think it's usually because I've hit on a particular that transcends my experience specifically. And so I've not experienced something that was overridingly surprising or different, but I'm always excited and honored that something I wrote is relatable. Well, you know, what's nice about the poems, and, and it's good writing in, in general, is universal themes, you know, that people can identify with. All right, so again, before we get into the specifics of a, a particular poem, are there other poets who you think were influenced 
uh, yeah. influenced you or that you look to for inspiration? When I was a kid, I for sure had the big Walt Whitman, the big Ginsburg, some Richard Brodigan by my bedside. But when I went to college, I would say my professors, what they showed me has been more influential in terms of poets I look to, and I can think of, oh, Rilke is a big one for me, um, Wendell Berry, Donald Hall, Etheridge Knight, Jane Kenyon, um, who else do I love so much, so many. Um, well, you've studied all these different poets, and you draw influence from how they write. Yeah, I like okay. poets who, the metaphor is very much opening all the time, mm-hmm. but also still controlled. And it's not that I don't appreciate poets who pull from left, right, left, right, and like, but I do think it works best for me when I'm focused on that same image. There can be leaping involved, for sure, and you'll see that in, mm-hmm. in some of my work where I, it's not that I'm always talking about the same physical image, but I was always taught to keep growing up and out and I love poems that do what only poems can meaning not prosaic mm-hmm. and so that's one of the lessons I really try to internalize that um, my teacher Robert Kinsley who's a wonderful poet he's always pushing me to still <laughs> I still send him work um, to make it bigger and make it less like prose. I got you. Well, can I get you to read one of the poems? Thank you. And, and if you need to give us a setup for the poem yeah. or anything like that, please feel free to do so. The first poem I'm going to read is called The Bridge. <clears throat> and I, when I had, um, earlier in the days of my pie company, Windowsill Pies, I would drive to the North Shore to, we did the farmer's market up there, but I also would drive by myself to drop off at a grocery store. And I was taking the bridge a lot in the early, early morning. And this poem, part of this poem um, comes from that experience. So let me interrupt you real quick. So the bridge here for folks who might be outside of New Orleans is the Causeway Bridge. Absolutely. The 24 mile bridge. Okay, go ahead. The bridge. In the morning darkness, everything turns elemental, sock and shoe, a gulp of yesterday's coffee to survive, the hardest part, the not feeling like myself, pushing through to get past the empty road, I find not the quiet I try to cultivate, but the definitive quiet. All around, there is nothing but the wheel, my hand, this coffee, and one, two, three brown pelicans looking for food, searching like me in this open space, The birds nudge me to move beyond this savage morning over this immeasurable bridge is what is delicate, is what enters. When urgency falls away, here's my grandmother, her cabinet full of dates bought on sale. Here's my grandma drawing curtains on a pulley, tucking me into darkness. Here's my friend's red-headed baby. All have gone before me. It's a growing list like a mission, this quiet bridge, those I've loved deeply, those I've loved as much as I could, I will see you up ahead. As somebody who drives and has driven the causeway innumerable times, this is wonderful. 
Okay, so let me let me jump to some other poems in here. In some of the poems, like Air in a Suitcase and Driving Home, structurally you have shifting margins. And I, I've always wondered why poets will do that. And for the listener, in other words, instead of having a linear margin, you'll have margins that move back and forth uh, for the poem. What What is it that prompts you to do that, and what purpose is it for? Yeah, that's a hard question to answer because, once again, it's so intuitive. But I go with how my body feels. When I relax, when I read it, and my eyes relaxed, and the ideas are grouped in a way that makes sense and pushes me to the next line, then I feel like I've got something. So it's a level of organization in the white space on the paper and a level of organization thematically. And then where I read, I want to read, I want the reader to to take the breaks and move the lines and connect the ideas from line to line the way I do. Okay. All right. Kent, well, let's talk a little bit about the inspiration for writing a poem. Um, I had a poet on one time who who also wrote fiction, who said, fiction is a casual pain and poetry is an acute pain. And, and I, what I drew from that was he was saying, when, when I have to write poetry, I just have to get it out. Is that your experience? Uh, do you write it all at one time or do you come back to it, rewrite, work it through and complete ideas? Both and yes and no. Okay, all right. <laughs> I do understand that person's thought and I, I think there's a lot of wisdom there. Um, I Once I write a poem, I feel like I will never write another poem in my life. That's it. I have no more creativity in me. And then as I've gotten older, I learned to trust that I will write another poem. Um, so there's two ways. Sometimes the initial work comes out pretty clearly, and then I get to do the fun part, which is come back and edit, which I adore. Um, with some of my longer poems, those are built over a period of time, and I come back to them, and those actually, back to some of our earlier discussion, those have chapters, if you will, almost like stanzas, but they are stanzas, but they're more like chapters, that's how I should say. One of the things that strikes me when I read poetry is that, and I'm curious to take your t get your take on this, is it punctures the veneer, you know, the veneer of our everyday living that we kind of go through. And even if the topics relate to everyday living, you're going through that veneer into the hardwood to say, hey, take a closer look at this. Does that make sense? Uh, I can't imagine being in the world without poems for that reason. Okay. All right. Well, that's one more question on writing techniques and that. Do you write at a particular time of the day, a particular location? What's your writing process? I do enjoy my desk, and I do call writing time, no matter what it is, coming to the desk. I just, no matter where that desk happens to be, but I wish I could say that I always wrote at the same time. I think that would be ideal. I love morning time, but the way my life is, I... I'm happiest when I grab time. I, I grab time whenever I can. So, and to me, that keeps the thread going. Do you, um, and again, I've heard this from others, you know, like you'll have a snippet of an idea. Do you jot it down on a piece of paper and then you come back to it later to expand it into a poem? I do sometimes. Okay. I used to be better about carrying a notebook. Um, my handwriting's rough. So I do write notes on my phone sometimes uh, now. Technology. Mm -hmm. But I do like to have the notebook, and I still okay. do right. try to carry one. Can I get you to read us another poem uh, from I Am 
one of you. Sure. Thank you. I'm going to read a poem. I'm from Ohio. I've lived in New Orleans since 1999. So now I'm not either of there or will never be fully of here, but Ohio is still a big part of me. And I wrote this poem before I had a child of my own. To know the smell of Ohio. You don't have to walk in the country. Just step where the river meets mud. Unlock leafy smell. My childhood has passed. Unlocked leafy smell. My friends have children. Okay. In one of the poems titled To My Child for My Parents, you appear to be exploring the birth of your child. And I was struck by the fact that in two different places you referred to the, quote, artist, close quote. Um, you write, for example, quote, you can do it, artist, close quote. And then another time, quote, go create artist, close quote. Who are you referring to as the artist here? The deep connection that creating life, creating a child, the, the artist in me, um, just there. there's this print I picked up when I was traveling when I was young. It was a Picasso print, and it's a teacher standing over two children, and they're drawing children's drawings. And I always felt like that was sort of the life force and what we're all making every day. And I love that particular, uh, I don't know what the title is, but it, it's an image that um, brings meaning to my life. And I feel that Going back to what we talked about at the beginning with I am one of you, the lineage of passing information, passing hope, becoming oneself, all of that. You know, what, what struck me when I read it, and maybe it's my philosophical leanings, is I thought of Nietzsche. You know, Nietzsche saying that we each become, need to become an artist to create ourselves. Um, and that's really how it resonated uh, with me. Um, but I thought it was a wonderful use of the, of the phrase. Thank All you. Right. So now, let's take this to current for a moment. Uh, I'm often told these days, much to my chagrin, that people don't read anymore, okay? Uh, that we become more and more of an anti-intellectual country. And yet, I see a reaction to poetry, for example, of the young lady, Amanda Gorman, uh, who uh, read at the uh, uh, inauguration. What role, if any, do you see poetry playing for people these days? What's its significance, if you will? People are hungry for meaning to puncture the veneer, as you said, to find some level of sanity in the, everything that's going on, whether it's really hard news, whether it's just the fast track of everything, whether it's the daily life. Um, I do feel that poetry doesn't ignore the daily life at all, but it utilizes it to take a, to transform us. And it's a good way for people to reflect or take a moment in their busy life to, um, remember who they are. Good. Okay. Can I get you to read? Well, you know what? Let me make one other point or ask you about one other point. 
You know, one of my, you mentioned Ginsburg as a poet that you had read uh, years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I think about the poem, How, and how significant it was with um, freedom of speech and those types of things. Are there any poems out there or poets out there that you think have the potential for having that type of impact hmm. anymore? And maybe Gorman is one of them. I don't know. I can't answer that with a strong statement of clarity or like definitive statement. I think there are so many poets speaking truth, whether it's um, truth with a capital T or a more quiet truth. Um, obviously, we need poets to be pushing the truth forward and, and, and speaking what's really happening. So I do think there's many, but I don't feel all of a sudden like I would pull one person out, but okay. that's my own lack of thinking the question through. Okay. I'm not sure that there is one, but I was curious I think to ask. you could definitely make a case for quite a few people who are real leaders in that, for sure. You know, there's some older, like Rilke, I mean, who kind of comes back in every so oh, often, yeah. and you're amazed at, at you know, the the uh, what he saw and how far he saw in the future. All right. Can I get you to read one more poem for us? And then yeah. I'm going to ask you about the last poem in your collection. Sure. I'm going to read a poem that was just published recently, actually, if I can okay. pull it together here. Embodiment. To be a girl's braid pre-wind, wound tight for the day, tied down and ribboned, proclaims a readiness to get to work, a desire to master naming. Covering the lagoon, green-headed birds float with their brown companions. I don't say honest platerinkos because I don't know the Latin, but when I encounter their beauty, I still label mallard. To identify accurately has established merit. Thank God for doctors. Yes, learn to name, but do not stay. To encounter what is beyond a diagnosis, chronic melogenous leukemia, is to walk the gravel next to who is in pain. Last week, two women with fifth graders enter hospice. Four days ago, Pavel was murdered on the bit of grass between his new house and the street. Tonight, on my drive home from the bakery, my mother calls to say the cousin, who long ago showed me how to climb a sand pile, has had a heart attack, has died. He is two years younger than I am. His twinkling wife and six kids must face his woodworking tools, his unfinished projects. Funerals of both mothers stream online, a friend texts the name of each familiar song as it comes, texts a play-by-play -play of tender eulogy jokes, putting me there as I roll out pie, help customers make change. Back to work from Pavel's funeral, my business partner grasps for words to explain the walk from the church to the street with Pavel's friends, his husband. She says, tying her apron, now I understand the jazz funeral in my body. Everything we know to name comes in first through the senses. And what are we here for if not to walk the gravel path next to hurt, next to who is excluded? If your belly is full, give the best. Become a keyless gate. If your belly is full or empty, untether from your own classifications. Not for me, smarter than, addicted. Unloosen what has braided you. Leave behind even the keyless gate. Dance through the open field as unencumbered bird, then as air ongoing. Now, is that that's not a poem in the current book, right? Mm -mm. 
No. Okay. That's one that you have drafted recently? Or yeah, this recently? poem was just published in the local literary journal Podunk Review. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, now, we're going to end with this. In the book, I Am One of You, you end with a, a wonderful long poem mm -hmm. entitled Everything in This World. Mm -hmm. um, to me, and I don't know if this is your intent, it's explores in a certain way everyday life. It's mo the moments of everyday life, but it gives it a certain sanctity. How much of this poem is autobiographical? This poem is all autobiographical. This poem is all autobiographical. That is did, really hard did, to say. Didn't mean to trip you up on that. Um, yes. Did, was this one? And I think you said this earlier. This is not one where you sat down and it all came to you at one time. This is one you did over over time. Correct. Yeah, I went back to where I'm from, Columbus, mm -hmm. Ohio, and I I took a trip, as the poem says, to Cincinnati with my friend Claudia. And um, when I got back, I just started working on it. It took a long time to write this poem. Um, it's quite a few pages. Mm -hmm. it takes me about seven or eight minutes to read aloud. Yeah. Um, and I just kept coming back. And it was a narrative form to a certain extent, but it does leap. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it has a real time shifting going on. And... Um, yeah, it's a poem that a lot of my friends feel very honored to be included in. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you this, okay, and we'll end with this question. When, and use that one if you want as an example because you wrote it over time. When do you know a poem is done? I said this already, but it's like when my body relaxes reading it. I mean, there's always going to be a couple words, a couple lines that it's like, oh, I can't think of anything better for that or clearer. Because right. I try to go for clarity. I want... The reader, after I get it out and I've worked on it, I think moment by moment, what's the next thing the person's seeing, hearing, feeling? Because I want that to be, you know, what I want and um, to, to lead to understanding. So it's when I can just kind of relax while reading it, and I can't think of anything better. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Um, you've been listening to the Writers Forum, and I'm your host, Mike Toussaint, and I've been privileged today to talk with poet Nicole Iden about her book of poems, I Am One of You. Nicole, is do you have a website or anything like that I that do. people can look up? Tell us what it's that is. It's my name, Nicole Iden, N-I-C-O-L-E-E-I-D-E-N.com. Okay. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun.